This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. It's the Doctor Who Podcast, and it's not just one of us, it's not just two, it's all three! Hello and welcome to episode 238 of the Doctor Who podcast. Yes, this is, I think, the fourth podcast in the space of seven days with another campervan crew. This time we have Tom. Hello, Tom. Hello, hello. And we also have a mysterious incarnation returning. Who are you and what are you doing here? Hello. Sorry, sorry I'm late. You know, all things crop up at the last minute. <laughs> Appointments and busy things. How much time have we got? Well... <laughs> Ten minutes, because we've covered a lot in the previous episodes, so... Oh, okay. (laughs) It's wonderful to have you back in the camper van, Trev, and I I think, to be honest with you, trying to review the 50th anniversary episode without you would have been not quite right, so I think... Where else am I going to be? Who else am I going to talk to about my thoughts about Day of the Doctor than you guys? I mean, I've got a house full of people that just wouldn't care if I started turning <laughs> to them and talking about it podcast wise. I mean, I've, I've got to find people online that I can have a chat to about this. And well, James and Tom, you, you know, you, you're on my speed dial, mate. You Is that are. because top of your list of things to talk about are things like numbering systems and stuff that your family will just say no, Trevor? <laughs> dating, conven- dating conventions for unit files, that sort of thing. I'm sure we'll get to <laughs> yes, that. I'm sure yes. we'll get to that. That might be in the second half of the episode, which will be about what? Two or three hours long? That'll be the <laughs> Quite one. Possibly. That'll be the Quite one. possibly. <laughs> but come on, Trevor, you've, you've got to tell us, what did you think of the Day of the Doctor? Am I going to be first? You are going Absolutely. to be first, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll probably bring it on a slight downer to start with. I think it's a totally <laughs> gibberish story wrapped up in some wonderful performances with a sprinkling of nostalgia. That's, that's probably my shorthand way of describing Day of the Doctor. There's just so much about this story that doesn't make sense. But being an anniversary story, you, you can probably slightly forgive it. I think it does rescue itself by being so wonderfully nostalgic at various points. But then it dives back down into the depth by being totally incomprehensible and just what the heck happened there type of feel. <laughs> it, it's a, it's, it, it was an amazing, what, 70-odd minutes of extremes going from, oh, my goodness, look at that, oh, my goodness, see what they've just done, mm. to... Why did they do that? What the heck's going on? And um, when is this episode going to end? I mean, it, it, it was either <laughs> totally loved it or totally hated it. I, I really wasn't in the middle with this one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster. But for James, you, actually, I, 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 I haven't had a chance to hear what you thought about it at the BFI yet. What did you think? Oh, okay, don't worry. Well, well don't worry. I, I would just, um, if, if you want to just come back and just. Tell Trevor he's all wrong. I mean, I, I okay. that's fine. I, I basically said, yeah, I liked it, but I do have some queries, shall we say? All right, cool. In which case, the thing I actually do want to do is, Trev, how did you watch this? How who was around you? I sat here in 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 beautiful Australia mm. on Sunday morning at approximately, I think it was five fifty a.m. this morning. We had a wow. you know the worldwide you know sort of simulcast thing going. The whole family surrounded me, just waiting for that 
logo to, to to froth up onto the screen and there it was so 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 we watched it all together this morning mm. and then we went about our daily you know sort of sunday stuff mm-hmm. and then i sat down again this afternoon before we recorded just to watch it again even louder cool 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 <laughs> all right well so, so do, do, do you think you were well served was it well worth was it worth waiting for i think it's one of those sort of stories that's going to be critic proof um it, it it will be churlish and probably somewhat mean to criticize this story because it's an anniversary story so it is somewhat proofed from that to a certain extent but i'm not sure i was totally convinced the story that is wrapped around this is one i would have chosen for an anniversary story Mm. let's go back a few days to the the fantastic docudrama adventures in space and time that was my anniversary celebration right there in 90 whole minutes of absolute Doctor Who wonderfulness. That was the way to celebrate 50 years of the program. This, it had some fantastic moments in it where I went, yes, that's fantastic. You know, 50 years of Doctor Who, woohoo. But it it, it was also counterbalanced with many points where I was just holding my head in my hands going, this is embarrassing. This is gobbledygook. This is just incomprehensible. And... (laughs) I didn't want to start digging into it too much and say, well, why did they do that? Because I wouldn't be able to give myself an answer. Hang on a minute. You're, you're a Zygon replica. Where is the real Trevor Genshin? What have you done with him? <laughs> I, I, I would say the that... months this... have mellowed me slightly, you know, slightly, but um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just wary of unleashing fully on this because it's an anniversary story. I, I, I because, would say because, that... The, because the, the there Zygon, are bits of it that I like. The, the, the Zygon replicant system is clearly, I, I, I think, would, would just reject Trevor because this is the Trevor we know and love, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this, this, this is Trevor being complimentary about the story. Um, I, I actually agree with a, a lot of what you said and, and some of which I've already talked about in you know last night's episode. But but Tom, I, I'm interested to, to, to know what you thought about it as well. Okay, so I, I watched this with two casual fans who are, who are biased towards the programme. I watched it with another hardcore fan who, who writes for the show uh, and I watched it with a 10-year-old. Um, and I've got to say, I, I'm kind of with Trev. A lot of me was like, okay, just just take the brakes off don't think about this just look at it enjoy it let it wash over you and just enjoy the ride and for most of it i really did but then there's part of me started going no give me more story give me more story i want to see i want to understand more about what's going on what, what, what's happening so like, like trevor I, I was up and down with it um, and i had to keep not keep telling myself but i had to remember wow. look don't think too hard about this because you are you're you, you're missing things that are actually quite fun so as soon as i stopped thinking about it i enjoyed it a hell of a lot more um I loved all of the obvious fan-pleasing moments, like the uh, like the Black Archive. Um, I was I was slightly slightly annoyed by the Chekhov's gun thing with the screwdrivers because I think as soon as as soon as it was shown and as soon as it was laid bare, I thought, well, this is the whole point, isn't it? This this is the plot. Um, I, I liked the, um, the interplay of the three Doctors, although I did get a slight feeling that, maybe I'm being lazy, but I got a feeling that most of John Hurt's lines could have been said by Christopher Eccleston, to be fair. Or Paul McGann, absolutely. Mm. Or, 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 I, I think. Or, maybe that's the point. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly so. Yeah, that, that, there's a character which is which is all three of them. Um, but, but, but do you know what? If I, if I close my eyes and think, did I like it? Did I like it or did I not like it? The bottom line is, I liked it. Um, did I like it as much as I wanted to? 
No. Did I? Were there bits of it that were surprising? Yes. Um, but did I expect the cameo at the end? If Tom Baker hadn't blabbed, I wouldn't have. I, I wouldn't have expected him, and I would have loved it oh, even did he more. Blab, he did blabbed he? about yeah, it. He did. I had he, no idea whatsoever that he was going to be there at the end. Oh. I really. I, I maybe I've shielded myself too well from all the spoilers that are out there, but I had no idea Tom Baker was going to be at the end. Yeah, of that no. Story. He, he'd, he'd announced it. Was that a he wonderful surprise. He, he basically said that. He'd been told not to say anything, but he was nearly 90 or something and he was going to do whatever he liked. And, and then, then he announced it. It got widely reported, I think, on Thursday or Friday this week. And at the celebration, the Doctor Who celebration at XL, he said on the first panel that he was on that under no circumstances is he in it at all and he's no idea what the journalist did. No. So it was, it was a complete mess up in all honesty. I have to admit, I, I would have preferred him not to have been there i i think it's a difficult moment at the end i had difficulty understanding what was going on i have to say and it is weird i've only seen it on the one occasion and watching it at the bfi there was it was full of loads of fans who were making noises so i didn't get to hear the first couple of lines of dialogue between tom baker and matt smith i don't know whether there was some explanatory sentence there and i've not been online at all to try and find out whether or not it is actually very obvious but but for me i I couldn't figure out whether he was supposed to be a future incarnation of 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 the doctor coming back to see his favorite incarnation so there was a line in there that kind of suggested that but if that's the case why does he look like an old version of tom baker um why did he take on the mantle of a curator when the guy was on a stick he clearly wouldn't have been able to do the job Um, (laughs) and i also i thought it would have been far more powerful had Capaldi been there and I thought initially when I heard the voice you know because you heard Tom (laughs) Baker's voice off camera you didn't see him I thought it was going to be I don't know maybe a two or three minute scene with Capaldi and I just didn't quite get it I know that doesn't mean it's bad it just means that I didn't understand it but I, I my my take on it it was deliberately ambiguous it was interesting the first time I watched it I wasn't sure I thought this was something about you know Tom Baker's doctor in you know you know before he regenerated has gone to be a curator and it it was something I missed the first time round but then I watched it the second time round and it did become clearer it's just a massive wink at the audience that you know it's Tom ba- you're sorry that you know it's the guy that played the fourth doctor but it's not the fourth doctor on screen right. he's just playing a different character he he's just there for the homage purpose, I suppose, that he, he is meant to be Tom Baker playing the curator of the museum. He's not meant to be Tom Baker playing the fourth doctor being a curator of, of a museum. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. When you say it's a nod to the fans, yes, it is. But I think for two reasons. Number one, everyone who, who's, a, who's a hardcore fan of Doctor Who knows that for the last three years of it, Tom Baker was just playing himself. And so it seems strangely appropriate <laughs> that in the fifth anniversary, he comes on as himself, not even in costume, has a bit of a chat, does a couple, does a couple of lines and mannerisms and wanders off again. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. But- I tell you what, the second time I watched it, it finally clicked with me how massively appropriate having Tom Baker in the 50th anniversary is. He's the governor. When the 20th anniver- no, when <laughs> the 20th anniversary story was on, we all know Tom Baker didn't want to have anything to do with the show. Mm, he, you yeah. know, he regretted yeah. the typecasting and you know, had, they had to put a waxwork dummy in place and old footage from Sharda. Mm. So, but in, in the years beyond that, he's mellowed and now we've reached the point where yeah, he loves the show. He's doing, you know, more big finishes than we can count on five hands. Mm-hmm. And now he's appearing in the show. So it's 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 a massive way of saying, hey, I made a mistake back in 1982 or 1983. Yeah. Here I am now making up for it. He he in really in one 
sense, I suppose, he's the only doctor that could have done that. Yeah, yeah, oh, you're right. He's the he's the last living doctor. Well, he's the earliest living doctor. Let's be fair. And so it seems mm. it's like, again, mm. again if, as long as you don't think too hard about it, it's like okay, hang on. It's the 50th anniversary. It's Tom Baker. Tom Baker was the most popular Doctor Who. He's still alive. Get on the screen. Perfect. It makes sense from that point of view. You can leave it to the fans to to retcon how and why he's in that. And to be honest, they've already started. Um, it, it, the, the, one of the best, but funniest, th- well, not funniest, the easiest theory I've seen to to, 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 to encompass it is that he is actually the fourth doctor and when he's regenerating and says the moment has been prepared for that's him popping off into the future to go and see Matt Smith it's great I think that that's a nice. real stretch <laughs> the fans are on the case believe it <laughs> oh I, I'm absolutely certain of it but I'm I'm not so certain that it does bear a great deal of thinking about no. I know it's supposed to be intriguing and, and again I think both of you have said in your in your summaries that if you don't think about this then you, you can enjoy and that's a little bit like our descriptions of Christmas episodes in the past you know because they are so standalone and they're fluffy and all the rest of it we say do you know what you can forgive it you can let it go you don't have to think about it too much I I think you can think about this one quite a bit I, I think there is more depth to the plot than we were probably or certainly I was expecting mm. and, and I like the fact that we've basically gone back and undid everything Russell T Davis set up in the first few years mm. all of a sudden the time <laughs> war you know didn't end in the way that the doctor had been chastising himself for uh, for the last however many years and so I, I think that's really quite successful and I think it's quite a complex plot as well I mean it, it's not something that is immediately accessible to people who are just turning on television on and personally I'm not that bothered about that but I I got a bit more out of this I have to say that it sounds like the pair of you did because I, I did get the sense that it was celebratory and you know quite detailed just wanted to backtrack there, James, to a comment you made about 30 seconds ago where you said um, this is not the way RTD would have ended the time war. And uh, I, I suppose I would be interested in your thoughts about how you think RTD thought the time war ended compared to how Stephen Moffat has done. Because I, I watched this and, and I thought whatever Stephen Moffat puts around this story in terms of the terrible Zygon plot and the terrible Elizabeth I plot, the stuff he did with resolving the time war I think was bang on. Yeah. It was absolutely perfect. It, it actually complemented the RTD era for me. Well, I, I think it undid it. I, I wouldn't say... I think it completely retconned it as well. I mean, the, 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 But how so? Because he's not the last how? of the Time Lords. He didn't commit genocide. He stopped himself. He just put them in a, in a frozen picture, in essence. I mean, we're not quite sure how. But that's the reason for all of these 3D pictures is that, you know, people can be frozen in time. The Zygons were frozen in time. The Dalek was frozen in time. And yet it came through into the archive. And that's what he's done with Gallifrey. But clearly, his ninth, 10th and 11th incarnations don't remember that. They still believe that they committed genocide. Hence this dark, melancholic self-loathing streak the Doctor's had ever since um, he's come back to to the screen. So RTD's, quite frankly, silly idea of a time war, it's it's a war, you know? How can you you fight a war on on a temporal basis? It doesn't make any sense. You end it one day and all of a sudden it's back the next day. It doesn't make sense. The time war is the only thing that kept me going in the RTD era. How how can you call it silly? It is silly. (laughs) Entirely. It's it's probably about the only interesting concept of the RTD era, to to be perfectly honest. It it was fantastic. I, I was probably slightly disappointed that Moffat didn't treat it 
temporarily, like you said, that it became a very simple case of removing the planet between them and let the Daleks shoot each other. The, you know, the Time War for me in the RTD era and even in the early Moffat era was always m- more about a battle fought across you know, the strands of time. <coughs> and any resolution to it would need to be resolved in a very, you know, dare I say it, timey-wimey type of way. We ended up with the solution we did in Day of the Doctor is is probably a slight disappointment for me, but I I think it's probably the only way that they could go. I I think you're probably right in terms of how they carry on telling stories, including Gallifrey in the future. And of course, the Doctor Doctor now has a mission to go and find Gallifrey because he doesn't know what he's done with it. And, And also the resolution that you talked about, we've got all... 13 doctors mm. you know in their tardis around gallifrey now that for me was I like that. an appropriate climax yeah. and i think for something as large as the time war has become right as opposed to a bit of a macguffin not to have to focus on the doctor's background and his heritage when you're introducing him to a new audience you know that's that's no longer relevant i i just think it's a really good way of doing it and and for me i found that element of the story extremely satisfying and uh, i i'm very much looking forward to what i'm assuming is going to be capaldi's quest to go and find out what he did with uh with gallifrey my major problem is how mm. the hell you retcon end of time into this well hang on uh, you, you, you you've kind of ex- you've, you've explained it and uh, and and brought up the next thing i wanted to talk about actually um the thing that happened the things that happened in the past happened in the past the things that happened in the future happened in the future the whole idea of the moment is it's it's linear so all the things that happened in the past were things like the end of time had actually happened but the moment changes all of that <clears throat> and the new change and the new choices of the uh 11th uh, the 10th and 11th or is it 11th and 12th we'll get to that in a second uh doctors move all of that around as well the other thing that i, mean, that, that I found that it's actually only beginning to sink in now actually is that the whole point of the show has just flipped 180 degrees um the doctor was running away from gallifrey he was trying to get away from these people now he's running <laughs> yes. to, now he's running towards it yes, absolutely and that and, and i'm not sure how i feel about that yet <laughs> to be honest. I, I like it i do know how i feel about it i'm i'm very positive about that and uh in fact i was watching this with michelle who's who's been in the uk for the last couple of weeks now and at that point where she suddenly realized gallifrey could potentially come back she was physically jumping up and down in the seat with glee she was so pleased mm. that we were going to get introduced to time lord society in in the new show uh so and i have oh, to same admit here, I'm, same here. I'm, I'm quite but chuffed I, about that too i i, I wasn't 100 percent convinced that we needed all 13 tardises to do it because i i don't think it makes a huge amount of sense it's to be f- perfectly honest it's it, not meant to. it was an extension of what they'd already set up in the story where when they're in the dungeon and they use the concept of Hertz sonic screwdriver starting the, yeah. the you know the, the uh, door scanner yeah. and then spending 400 years to get to the Matt Smith one and therefore having a solution it was an extension of that yes. Let, let's go yes. back 1200 years to Hartnell's doctor to to start computating how to get rid of Gallifrey that while it made sense within the story I'm I'm not sure it was particularly satisfying for me because yeah, I, I, it, it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. And what also doesn't make a huge amount of sense is having the Capaldi Doctor as part of that computation. When the computation had to end with the 11th or Matt Smith's Doctor, why did they have the 12th Doctor or Capaldi's Doctor in there being part of the computational cycle? That didn't make sense to me. I think it made more sense than having Tom Baker in it. But uh, I, I think perhaps he was just popping back <laughs> to assist because those things were in his past. 
in fact, every no, incarnation but he, of the but Doctor. But he's is in Matt Smith's future. The whole conceit of the various times they'd used it in the story was Hertz Doctor starts analysing. By the time it reaches Matt Smith's Doctor, it had finished analysing. They did the same thing at the end. Oh. Hartnell's Doctor starts computating. By the time it reaches yes. the eleventh yes, Doctor, yes. is that a new word? A solution. Compu- what was Capaldi doing there? <laughs> Comp- yes, computating. I have. Patent it. Thank you very much. Computating. Okay. What I, I, like I, I still don't understand, apart from the fact that it was, oh my goodness, that's Peter Capaldi's eyes. Yeah. I don't understand why he was in this story. Oh, For exactly I, I that. I was in a room full of, I was, I was in a room with four other people who, and we all went, oh, wow. So yeah, oh, it, yeah. it was for that. And, and <laughs> BFI exploded at that point. It, and, and, and it really was just brilliant. It's the very first time we've seen an actual future incarnation. In a, in a previous Doctor's story. Really I mean, it, it, it was just taking what they did in Logopolis, you know, all the way through, just carrying it all the way through. It worked for me really, really well. But that's the thing. It's brilliant, but it doesn't make sense. Oh, who cares? That's the whole I'm sorry, thing. Look, yeah. That Trevor, describes the Moffat era in a nutshell to me. I watched Angels Take Manhattan again the other week, and the bit at the end where... Amy and Rory survived the destruction of the hotel and, they, and they're lying by the gravestone. And they go, how did we survive that? How, how, how did that happen? And Matt Smith, doctor, says, I quote, who cares? Oh, there I you mean, are. <laughs> they, they're just making this up as they go along. I, t- and it's, and it's, it's the same thing here. It's a great thing for the fans and the fans loved it. And they went, oh, my goodness, that's, that's Peter Capaldi, squee. Oof. But it doesn't make sense in the story. But the thing is, no one cares. No, that's the thing. They only they only don't care if it's still a compelling story to watch on television. If you end up having a, a really poor, unexplained little scene in a generally considered a bad story, then nobody cares. Mm. Uh, you know, or no, well, people do care really. They, they they just end up saying this is part of the reason why it's so useless the reason why they don't care when it's in a story like the day of the doctor is because he adds something to it despite the fact it's slightly nonsensical i mean look at us all all three of us are essentially married all right do we all understand our wives all of the time you know it simply doesn't happen but does it mean that we don't love them as much and they will probably say exactly the same in reverse you just take everything and some things that don't make a little bit of sense you know they just kind of gives a little bit of a different dynamic, and I think that's wonderful in the context of Day of the Doctor. Speaking of marriage, what's this whole thing with David Tennant marrying Liz the First? What the heck is... What the, I mean, if that isn't fan service, I, I don't know what is. I mean, that, that whole stuff with Elizabeth the First was, was, was nonsensical. It was the comedic it, it was, element, wasn't it? And it also went oh. back and made sense of the line um, in End of Time yeah. Part 1, but um, that Tennant come out with as soon as he come out of TARDIS. But, you know, for me, it was it was a bit of fluff. The thing is, for me, the Zygons just disappeared. You know, nobody knows what happened to them. Uh, the last time we saw them, they were all in the room trying to decide who were humans and hu- who were Zygons. The next scene we see, Billy Piper, or Bad Wolf, or this sentient weapon, had managed to pick up all of the Doctors along with their TARDIS and put them all together. And that's it. We don't revisit the Tower of London, Black Vault, yeah. or whatever it was. The Zygon's story just ends there. You see, let, let, let me get this right. The three Doctors point their sonic devices at a loudspeaker in the roof and suddenly everyone forgets who they are. Well, that was set Is up at the beginning I, part I, of the scene. I've, I've seen the story twice and I still don't understand... Because that's uh, the, because that's the thing which induces it's like it's like the Men in Black's big torch thing. That's yeah. the, that's the thing which induces people to forget about the archive once they've been in it. 
Um, so the, t- the so the three doctors amplify that and help the uh, and and confuse the Zygons and the humans into not knowing which ones they are. Although critically, um, the Zygon who is Osgood gives the game away when she doesn't have asthma. Yes, indeed. And, and that security guard at the beginning, how does he live a normal life? How does he go home to his family each day? What does he say to them? Who are you? About going How did you get into work? my house? Yeah, I, I yeah, agree. Exactly. It was clumsy. I mean... It was clumsy, that part. And I agree. I have a feeling that they needed to write that afterwards. You know, They needed to get at least an excuse as to why people's minds could be wiped. And you're quite right. Practically speaking, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But I think it's there so that they can have a a little gag to say, you know, oh, he's been working here for 20 years, you know, and actually he thinks it's his first day every time. It's actually quite a cruel bit of humour. <laughs> and I'm surprised the Doctor approves, in all honesty, or at least doesn't disapprove. It's obviously <laughs> a way to get out of paying annual leave and long service and sick leave to the poor guy. <laughs> there you go. Let's, let's just put it down to the cuts. I think that works nicely. Um, but w- <laughs> one of the things I did want to ask the pair of you, now I, I want to phrase this question a little bit first. I thought John Hurt was immense in this. I don't think there was a single line... Uh, um, a single facial expression that was wrong. I just thought he was absolutely wonderful, and I and I understand no. why Stephen Moffat wanted to have thirteen doctors in this story. It's a celebratory story. He wants thirteen doctors. Mm. However, if you could retcon everything that the hurt doctor did with into the eighth doctor, if you could get Paul McGann back and get him to perform the role that John Hurt's doctor did. Would that have been more sensible? Would it have been more enjoyable? Mm. Or was it just the case that they could say, right, we can get a Hollywood star like John Hurt. That's what we're going to do. No. It might be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I I think it would have been difficult story-wise to take them again, Doctor from the lovable, you know, beautiful jacketed Doctor we've known to grow and love in the show and in Big Finish and suddenly have him performing the role that we see him do in Day of the Doctor, that he's this man that's going to destroy everything. I, Yeah, it, it, it was interesting. I, I loved the idea of what they did. I would have loved to have seen Paul McGann in Day of the Doctor, in yeah. John Hurt's role. Yeah. But I think they did the sensible thing and not have Paul McGann's Doctor do that because it would have been too much of a leap because, yeah, it's it's a strange sort of thing. Um, because I don't think then you would have had some of the fantastic stuff that John Hurt did with um, Tennant and Matt Smith. I think the f- most fantastic bits of the story are where there aren't a Zygon on the screen. And that stuff in the cell where he's saying, I don't recognise either of you. Why do you both act like children? Why don't you want to grow up? That is, to me, some of the most poignant Stephen Moffat writing I've seen during his entire run. He He has basically explained within a couple of very well-chosen phrases the entire 2005 and beyond era for me. That, you know, you know, we, we, we understand why every Doctor beyond Paul McGann acts the way they do in just a couple of lines. It was beautiful. Do you think that Moffat wrote this story and then realised he couldn't get Christopher Eccleston to play the role he wanted or do you think that this is a story that he wrote because he couldn't get Christopher Eccleston I don't think you can make television in the way that television gets made and and not 
and, and 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 not have a fallback plan. Don't get me wrong. The way things fell, the way things the, the way things went, went went across last night was fantastic. It was great. It was really really good. It was nice to see Eccleston in there in his bad wolf cameo. It was nice to see Hurt regenerating into him. Um, more about that later. Why did that regeneration start? Just for the sake of it, I don't know. Yes, exactly. That's my question as well. Mm. Um, but at the same time. Eccleston couldn't do it for for many many well for the, for, for for I've heard lots of reasons why I think it's just as simple as they got the timing wrong. Um, so it, it's I, I I would say that's absolutely not the case now. I mean I was as I said I was at the XL yesterday and Moffat was talking about. Um, Matt Smith returning mm. to the show for a future anniversary or a celebratory episode, mm. and he was very clear the entire. 2,500 audience got that meaning. There was a big undertone. Moffat was extremely frustrated with Eccleston for not returning. I don't think it had anything to do with timings. I don't think it had anything to do with um, a mistake or just planning. This seems to be a case that he he chose not to return. and, And Moffat let his frustration show and in a way that I was quite surprised but it wasn't subtle you know and it wasn't a mistake no. he let it slip he wanted Eccleston in that episode I agree well, I, I think while I while while Eccleston and Baker are two very different people in in every way shape or form with their intent and their feelings I think Eccleston's in the same place now that Baker was for the 20th anniversary. Quite possibly. He wants nothing to do with Doctor Who. He, he doesn't want to be typecast. He, he didn't want to be known as the Doctor. He wanted to do other stuff. Maybe Eccleston might change in later years. Perhaps not. Perhaps maybe. The same way that Tom Baker has, and he's mellowed, and he's now doing Big Finish, and he's doing Doctor Who again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would have had to have been a decision that Moffat would have had to made back in the planning stages of Name of the Doctor. He would have had to draw a line in the sand and gone, can't get Eccleston, let's move the story down this direction so we have the reveal at the end of that season and um, then move into Day of the Doctor. It, it's the only way you could do it. Yeah, I won't, I'll draw that line in the sand. This is the thing. I mean, the man's, what, 79 years old? Tom, I, I, Tom Baker, so let him come back out. I, I, I want to believe that Eccleston isn't um, evil or just negative or anything like that. And he's doing it for what he thinks. Everyone has their reasons. This is one of the terrible things about life. You know, that things happen that we don't like, but people have their reasons for doing them. So it, it's kind of sad. But to be honest, I, I, as I say, I started off thinking, all right, all the hurt lines are for Eccleston. And it worked for a short while, but then I thought, Do you know what? Let's have the hurt lines be for hurt. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think now. It's true. I think that incarnation of the Doctor is undeniably the Doctor, and I, but but I think he's quite different from the others. Now, I mean, Tom, you talked about in the past the the, the darker personality traits the Doctor has, and mm. how interesting the show gets when it puts them under the microscope every now and again. Mm. I just think this was all condensed. It was all of the interesting dark elements of the Doctor were condensed in the portrayal John Hurt gave at least for the first half of this story mm. uh, before he began to realize that he may not necessarily be evil and he may actually be able to use the name the doctor which, actually, uh, which, I'll, which was I'll wonderful. go even further and say that the John Hurt doctor is a pure classic doctor who fan and I'll go even further than that and be egotistical for a moment and say the John Hurt doctor is me <laughs> he is someone that is in love with the classic era can't can't see anything beyond it you know to a certain extent and the the whole day of the Doctor was filled with this classic series loving Doctor going, why are you acting like that? Yeah. Can't you talk without waving your hands? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, why why do you act like children? What's going on? The John Hurt Doctor 
is a classic series purist Doctor Who fan, Brilliant. like me. Well, <laughs> yeah, th- he is. I think it, it, it's interesting that he echoed something I'd said to you a couple of years ago, which is that uh, the tenant incarnation is just a man having a midlife crisis. Uh, <laughs> but look, but, that, but that, that's, that, I have to ask a question. Um, are you got, are, are either of you guys familiar with a thing called the comic strip? If there's two things, um, a, th- a, a series of movies from the eighties called the comic strip. Nope. Okay. The comic strip presents. The comic strip presents. Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. So look, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one of those stories, one of those films, is a th- is a film called Strike, and what it is is the is the writer played by Alexi Sale, um, writes the story of the miners' strike. And it's a it's a it's a very little story about how the miners' strike unfolded, and it's it's quite heartwarming. It's like a kitchen sink drama, and then Hollywood get hold of it, and they turn it into Meryl Streep and Al Pacino riding motorbikes into the into the houses of Commons and having these showdowns uh, and getting emotion and, and and have this emotional catharsis on the streets of London. For the first few moments of the first few minutes of um. Day of the Doctor, I thought, this is what's happened. Hollywood has got hold of Doctor Who. I've got John Hurt with a giant repeating machine gun blasting words into a wall while Daleks and children burn outside. It's like, where's Doctor Who in all of this? But, maybe, but, but then again, as, I, as that thought ran across my head, I thought, where's Doctor Who in all of this? Or where's the Doctor in all of this? That was probably the, that was probably was the point. It was really interesting. I mean... <laughs> It was it, the point. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was really interesting. I, I started watching the beginning of this, even with the opening titles, the way they did very different things with it. It, it did look very cinematic. Mm, yeah. The way, rather than having, you know, the, you know, the howl around, you know, Doctor Who title theme, mm. that they had, you know, Matt Smith appearing in cute font below him flying across, um, uh, you know, London, basically. And, you know, the same with John Hurt and Jen Louise Coleman and stuff like that. This is Doctor Who at its most cinematic looking in terms of the way it's trying to represent its yeah. titles. So, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with you a little bit. But this is something Doctor Who's been doing for a couple of years now. I mean, dare I say it, you know, with all the BBC America stuff and, you know, the co-production and Doctor Who getting shown first there and all sorts of things like that, that Doctor Who has been pandering and sucking up to the Americans at least for the last couple of years in its look, in its use of locations and the the style of story that it uses now. And this is just another logical extension of that way to appeal to an incredibly large market. I, I think this thing had to appeal to a slightly different audience. I mean, I, I don't think it was a significant tweak, in all honesty. I, I think it just had a little bit more money thrown at it, and therefore they decided to embrace it and make it look, you know, fairly stunning. I, I think it showed off London brilliantly uh, in, in a similar way to the Bells of St John did. It, it felt as though London, certainly during the opening five ten minutes, looked... It just looked amazing, and I was there at the Trafalgar Square um, location shoot, and everybody was wondering what on earth was going on. I'm not entirely certain whether that question has been answered, because why did they just hoik up the TARDIS and take it, and then apologise because the Doctor happened to be I'm in it? I'm calling foul on that story of yours, James. <laughs> I've, I've heard that for, for quite a while that you popped off during your lunch hour to see I the did. filming of Doctor Who. I've scrutinised that entire scene with an intense scrut, <laughs> and I can't see you anywhere. Well, actually, so I think I am there. <laughs> I actually think I am there. I can't see it, but I remember I mean, I know they must have done this many times, but and I got there after the helicopter had, had come in but I, I certainly saw the scene where um, the Doctor salutes Kate Stewart because they filmed that the very first take they filmed that 
after I'd arrived, and they did it about three times, then they packed up and went. So one of those takes was used, and I was there. <laughs> but I like the way we, we were all thinking about, um, you know, how on earth are they going to CGI out all these crowds? And of course, it, it just ended up being part of the story, which worked fantastically. In fact, Maybe I want a royalty. You were there. <laughs> Maybe you were there. there. There was a guy in the background that did look a bit like you, but maybe they CGI'd a bit more hair. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. Just as I well as three thousand miles drunk. away. <laughs> Actually, some of the security guards were there, and it's interesting because the people who were moving us on or trying to do crowd control on the day had, did have slightly different uniforms on, and I was beginning to wonder whether or not that that was intentional, and perhaps it it, it was. Maybe they were supposed to be unit soldiers. But mm. I, I like the way that this wasn't really a unit or a military unit story as well. And this is something that Tony mentioned last night. It, it wasn't a bunch of soldiers running around it with guns. It was the science side of unit. And I liked that very much indeed. I thought that was See, uh, something that's been I, missing. I really wasn't convinced, apart from a nostalgia and fan point of view, that Lethbridge Stewart really had a point to this story. I mean, it like you say, it was more about the science stuff. Every time I saw that woman with the inhaler and the Doctor Who scarf, I kept thinking of the science boffin from, um, oh, that sand story, you know, the one with the bus and the oh, sand. Oh, I know what you mean. Uh, Planet yeah, of the Dead. Yeah, I kept thinking of him and thinking yeah, he's, he's a really, really keen science guy that works for UNIT. <laughs> I, I wasn't really sure that having Lethbridge-Stewart in this really... I don't know. She she didn't have much purpose, and then she got cloned anyway. It's the fiftieth anniversary time sitting under spaghetti. Yeah, I'll tell you what like she was Tom doing. Says. I'll tell you what she was doing there. She, it's the fiftieth anniversary. That's what she was doing there. <laughs> that's the only and, reason and that, she was well, there. <laughs> that's what I said at the beginning. She she has really has no point in that story apart from moving the doctor from one room to another, and the fact that it's there for nostalgia, although a very shortened period of nostalgia because she was only in the show. What? 18 months, two years ago. Something like that. It was for Para 3, wasn't yeah. it? But, but um, what's, what was the point? And perhaps it's exactly the same explanation. It's an anniversary show. Why, why did Ingrid Oliver's character have a Tom Baker scarf on? That was never explained, was it? She's read the files. That's it. She's a fan then, is yeah, she? Yeah, she's a fan. She so a think bit it's like more about um, that she was round, that, that she'd heard about the previous Zygon thing. Uh, perhaps maybe that was a tie to that. So a bit you like know, the Lee whole... Evans, really, character in well, Planet of the Dead as well. We he had was a the bit space of a telegraph, which was, Because we had the Space Telegraph, which was in Terror of the Zygons. Uh, yeah, because Terror of the Zygons was Tom Baker's last foray with Unit in any way, shape or form. Um, maybe that was just a sly homage to that, that like you say, Tom, she'd, she'd read the files on the Zygon Gambit, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> okay. And, um, yeah, and, and, and was a fan of the Doctor. Well, exactly Maybe so. that's what it was. And, and, that's, and that's fine if that's, if, if that's the only thing they were trying to achieve. But it was Lethbridge-Stewart that had the TARDIS noise ringtone. It wasn't her. That's, <laughs> that's what flummoxed me. The head of unit has the TARDIS noise as their ringtone. I mean, what is the deal with that? Well, it it it, it, it could be it could be any number of things, but again, it's just because it's the anniversary. Look, can I ask you a different question? What um, the the list of nods to fans? I quite like that. Chameleon. Chameleon was there. Richard Franklin was there. Chameleon. Complaining about the Isn't interior decor awesome? was there. All of it was there. <laughs> Richard Franklin was there with Sarah Kingdom. Mm, mm, so that was a very odd picture. Mm, definitely. Well, and pictures of Ian and Barbara from Marco Polo. I mean, wow, <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No, I, I like the whole. Um, How did they get those photos, by the way? Of, of, of past <laughs> uh, photographs of past companions, certainly. It was, it... I've just realised that. How did they get photos of Ian and Barbara? Barbara 
from Marco Polo on their wall. Press office. <laughs> Tell me that. Well, we only know no that from Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> Another flaw in this in this oh. in this travesty of an anniversary. If special. we're looking for flaw, if we're looking for flaws, and this is the only one which I spotted, and I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not trying to drag it down for anyone because I quite enjoyed it really. Um, at the end, where the thirteen doctors are doing the, doing the spin of Gallifrey, um, Sylvester McCoy first appears from his first season wearing the pullover and the and the, and the light jacket, and then in the, in all of the other shots, he's from the, the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But does that matter too much, really? No. Oh, no. the whole thing falls apart. Let's let us let us just call it non-canon and, and be done with it. I, what, what, the thing that I felt, was, it didn't actually fall apart, but could have done with a bit of explanation. It's something, Tom, once again, you mentioned earlier, and, and that's the seemingly no apparent reason for the regeneration from John Hurt's Doctor into Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. Unless, of course, his purpose had been served. His purpose for exactly. being had been served. Now, I think that exactly. you can read into it. But it's two things to me. His purpose had been served. He'd, he'd done what he was there to do in a certain respect, even though it didn't turn out the same way. But he was also there in a very selfless act to say, let's get on with my life. Let's move beyond the war doctor. Let's get to these other doctors who, who are really fantastic chaps mm. and will have a much better stab at life now that they aren't responsible for you know, killing 2.47 billion children. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, guys. Let's talk about Billy Piper. Now, She's lost a lot no of weight, one really. expected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, there we go. Making history, calling Billy Piper an elephant. I know, yes. <laughs> I'm not sure anyone really expected what Billy Piper's role in this would be. When I, when I watched it the first time, I thought she was Bad Wolf, and that was it. But then the second time I watched it, she's this weird amalgam of the consciousness of the ultimate weapon yeah. and Bad Wolf. So... You know, she's as far removed from Rose Tyler as, you know, you could possibly think. I was just wondering what you guys thought about um, Billy Piper's role in this. Was 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 she a bit of a, um, how, how, how does one say it, a, a deuce ex machina? James, what do you think? Was she a bit of a convenient thing to, okay, we need to get the plot to this next point. She clicks her magic wand fingers and, um, you know, we get to the next bit. I talked a little bit about this last night, so go, go on, Tom. I will come in, but go on. I'll let you um, let you answer first. Okay. Well, I think she. I think she would have made a lot more sense if uh, if her had been Chris Freckleson, which is one of the things that made me think. Right, you've got to stop thinking about this because that would make a lot more sense if he was Chris Freckleson. Um, but as 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 she did her slightly bizarre Saran Jones quirky thing, because she wasn't written like Billy Piper, she really wasn't written like Rose. She was just written like. Um, the voice of the TARDIS or the spirit of the TARDIS and just happened to have those lines said by an actor who was Billy Piper. Um, you know, she, she bore absolutely no, no, no resemblance to, um, to Rose whatsoever. But I can live with that because it was just nice to see Billy Piper on screen. And that little line of, um, uh, I've taken an image from your past or is it your future? Ooh, I keep getting those two mixed up. That's just the voice of the TARDIS. So, yeah, it was, again, it was good to see her on screen. Nothing to do with Rose. And that's, and I, I can work with that. So that she, she's, so she's the other actor who was there doing something a bit confusing. Her, Tom Baker. <laughs> yeah. Nice to have you both but on the I, I think this one worked, I have to say. Mm. I, I am so pleased they didn't bring Rose Tyler back because I think that would have really cluttered up the plot quite a bit. And of course, you'd have had to have had the, 10th and 11th Doctors interact with her as well, which of course they didn't do for, for, for the entire story. 
And I also got very big recall from the Doctor's wife and uh, and Saran Jones. And of course, that all makes sense because this sentient weapon was of Gallifreyan origin, as are TARDISes, so that's that's fine by me. I thought it was probably the best performance from Billy Piper in not just Doctor Who, but pretty much anything. I thought she was absolutely brilliant yeah. in this. Yeah. Mm. I wasn't sure where she was going at the beginning, though. I thought, oh, my God, we're going down a weird route with her doing that no more, no more. And I thought, okay, <laughs> what is going on here? But then she calmed down a lot, I mean, as, as a result of what was written for her, of course, and... She she played a fantastic role. I think you know you know she served the plot well. But I, but I think because she's bad wolf and she can do anything, that it was an easy way to get from one point to another without having to again, as Stephen Moffat likes not doing, not not really having to explain anything. Well, you know, I, th- it I think just she just happens. chose to describe herself as the bad wolf. I don't think she was. I think it was just rooting around inside the Doctor's head and or his future, as it turned out, and latching on to something that clearly was a, a very important event. And rather than saying Rose Tyler, she just said Bad Wolf. I don't think it actually meant she was an entity called Bad Wolf. You know, this this um, her, her character just gave voice to this weapon who developed some kind of moral awareness. It, there was there were a few things that I didn't like, I didn't understand. As I said, you know, what happens if the TARDIS had been taken away with the Doctor out of it? How would the Doctor have even known, A, who took it, and B, how to get to London to unit? So that didn't make a great deal of sense. I think the Zygon story got truncated very quickly. Oh, but isn't as, that absolute rubbish? I mean, aside from what that, sort of alien invasion plot says, oh, you know, we were in the 16th century or 17th century, we'll jump into this 3D painting and just hang about for a couple of thousand of years? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then we'll pop out in a high security vault where you know we've got the odds stacked against us to even get out to the main street to start taking over the earth because they spent the whole time on the Tower of London pretty much. I mean, what 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 is the point of that? That is the most rubbish invasion story yeah. ever. I mean. What were the Zygons in the lock up in Scotland doing? You know, they're sitting around for a couple of hundred years going, oh, you know, I don't think I want to invade the 19th century. It's not nice enough yet. You know, we'll wait till we reach 1974 and then we'll invade. I mean, why did they think 1974 was okay and the others thought, oh, no, it's a bit rubbish. We'll just sit in this painting for a bit longer. Do you know, it was actually what, what addressed. What a load of nonsense. Do you know, it was, it was actually addressed. And not only was it addressed in last night's story, it was also mentioned in Terror of the Zygons as well. Because they said they, they need a new planet. That was referred to directly last night. But Earth wasn't quite the planet they were looking for, so they wanted to make changes. And that was the plot of Zygons, uh, you know, the Tom Baker story as well. And it was the plot yesterday. They're a very patient race. They've got no, you know, sense of immediacy. And they, they had this wonderful opportunity just to wait until they were Stop ready. Stop excusing it, it. They had all this fantastic technology at their fingertips in 1652 where they could have done exactly what Broton and his mates could have done in 1974. But no, oh no, what, what we'll do is we'll jump into this 3D painting and just sit in stasis for 400 years. I mean, what a load of non... The most rubbish invasion plot ever. Okay, I think we might need to put you back in stasis for, the, <laughs> for another six months or so. <laughs> but go on, Trevor, I'm dying to ask you. I've been wanting to ask you all, uh, all, all the time we've been recording. You mentioned at the beginning you had a slight issue with the numbering system or, or you wanted to discuss the numbering system. I, I really want to hear your, your, your take on this. 
Well, I think this deserves a little musical segment break before we dive into this. And a few deep breaths, I imagine. Mmm... Well, I did want to talk to you guys because um, one concept about this story, which I absolutely loved, was the fact that I walked into this thinking they're going to find a way of having John Hurt in it as the Doctor, but then explain him away somehow, that he's only Doctor 8.5 or that he's a transitional Doctor or something like that. But I got to the end of Day of the Doctor this morning and and this evening here in beautiful downtown Australia, and they didn't explain it. They just basically came out and said, yep, this guy's the doctor. He regenerated to him. He regenerated out of him to Eccleston. Accept it. Do we now have to say that John Hurt is the ninth doctor? Discuss. Well, this is one, this is one of those things I think is going to run and run a bit like unit dating, isn't it? Um, he, he gave up the, the, mm. the way it's been explained so far and the way I'm quite happy to accept it for the time being is to say that he's... He's not a doctor because he gave up the name, but that said, he's clearly one of the bodies. And that, and if there's any doubt, there's that last, um, the last shot of Hartnell at the back, and then the other twelve in front of him. So, absolutely. So you know that we. Oh no, they said in the museum that you know I, I can basically now say I am the doctor again. Mm. Yep. You know, there's there's no there's no pussyfooting about with it. It wasn't a fact of our oh, back in your box, John Hurt. You know, you're only a pretend doctor. You know, the numbering system is unchanged. Mm. We are now at the point where um, I, I strongly believe and, and I fully embrace mm. that Matt Smith is the 12th Doctor yep. and Peter Capaldi is the 13th. Yep, I, I agree. I, th- I think we have got to get this into context. First of all, fans are the only one who cares. Right? <laughs> Nobody else really minds who's which Doctor. They're all the Doctor. But I do agree with you. I think it's very clear we saw the 8th Doctor regenerate into John Hurt's Doctor and John Hurt regenerated into Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. We also saw the John Hurt Doctor take on the name The Doctor. All of the other incarnations after the events of Day of the Doctor were complete, embraced him as a, a full incarnation of The Doctor. Whether or not we've got to go back and rewrite every single reference book since 2005, <laughs> do you know what? Oh, One, you. I don't care. And secondly, I think it's actually quite funny. Um, I, I, I think if you're the exec producer and you can suddenly just turn stuff like that on its head inside out and send yep. so many fans into paroxysms of OCD-ness and, oh my goodness, how are we going to get this sorted? It's just too tempting not to do. I think it works perfectly. I, th- I really do. Doc- and I don't care Doctor what Who we website- call them. <laughs> Doctor Who website administrators must be crying into their shandies at the moment. Shannon Patrick Sullivan must be furiously doing search and replaces on all the names and numbers <laughs> of the Doctor, even as we speak to get the Doctor Who pages back up and running properly. Um, It's probably very similar to an anecdote I've already shared on Facebook today. Sorry, guys. But remember for years and years how we said, you know, the Daleks can't climb stairs, you know, they'd they'd be rubbish at, you know, um, invading the universe. But then Remembrance of the Daleks rolled around. So every time that anecdote was rolled out, us nerdy fans would be able to say, oh, but that's not the case, you know, in, in Remembrance of the Daleks. But the general public didn't care. They, they didn't care. Daleks don't climb stairs, full stop. Mm. It's the same thing with John Hurt, I think, that, you know, people are going to say, oh, Matt Smith's the 11th Doctor, you know, Eccleston's the 9th. But then us nerdy fans will go, oh, but in 2013's Day of the Doctor, you know, blah, 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 blah. And But 
Joe Public won't care. As as far as I'm concerned, Joe Public will still think the eleventh Doctor is Matt Smith. I, I agree. And it and yeah. it it will be up to us fans to spend the next twenty years discussing and arguing <laughs> and and having interesting conversations about whether John Hurt's a real doctor or not. Oh, you wait. You wait until we get to the Christmas story because I think one of the things that Hurt's inclusion in there the doctor means is that Moffat can address the li- regeneration yes. limit in the Christmas yes. story. So all of a sudden we're going to have what a second cycle, we're going to have a 13th th- what on earth's going to happen? I just think it's 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 a wonderful way of setting up the series to continue and I I don't really mind as far as I'm concerned John Hurt is a perfectly valid incarnation of the doctor. But he, he, it's good, and and this, if there is any doubt, the uh, the member of the Chancellor Grad, the War Council, did say no, all thirteen. So there's no doubt about the fact that there is there are thirteen of this man knocking around. And but you know this is a, this is taking you going sideways and taking you back slightly as well. I really quite like John Hurt's TARDIS. I like the Randalls, and I like how it was like Eccleston's TARDIS, but new. I want to ask one one question too, from a purely nerdy point of view. Clara being back in Coal Hill School, being a teacher, yeah. was she there on the twenty third of November, nineteen sixty three? The no, the only reason I ask is because when she jumps on her motorcycle and screams off, she passes a clock that says five fifteen. Oh, you're kidding! Now I, I, thought, oh, I didn't. I get thought that. surely this is a way of tying in the fact that she's there on the day no i i don't I mean, think so I, she, I, she's I, she's in modern day yeah. settings there what what i did find interesting no yes she is because she she, she, she rides the bike not. into the tardis and it's matt smith's tardis which is then picked up by helicopter she's in contemporary time no 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 yeah, no but the, but but the tardis and clara are in 1960s no they're not they're in 2013 no, 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 they're in 2013 then what shows its modern as 2013? Um, a, that she's on the bike, B, that she drives straight to the TARDIS and C, that the TARDIS is picked up and dragged across London in 2013. Wasn't it an old bike? It wasn't a modern bike. It's a vintage bike, but it's, yeah, it's a vintage bike, but it's... So it's a 1963 bike, then? Do, do you know, actually, Tom, yeah. he, he might have a point. I don't like saying stuff like that, but he <laughs> might have I a point. Think, think about it, though. Ian and Barbara were teachers at Coal Hill School. Yeah. Are, are they suggesting that Clara was one of Ian and Barbara's colleagues? No, she's not one of the colleagues, but the, 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 version, oh. of the, the version of the school that she's teaching in shows Ian Chesterton as one of the Board of Governors. So, oh, right. Oh, I didn't know. I... I would very much like it to have been in 1963, Trevor. Now you've given me the idea. I think that would have had a perfect symmetry. But the way I the way I watched it last night was I was assuming everything was in contemporary um, England. I have to admit, I didn't quite understand how she found the time to qualify as a teacher. Because the last time we saw her <laughs> in Name of the Doctor, she was tied up in the middle of his time stream. The next time we see her, she's teaching at a school. And she's been to what Macedonia or whatever they said. You know, they she he dropped her off for a week in Macedonia or something. Or I like the way this is the first time that we've had Moffat go back and look at RTD stories and things. I can tie up a bit there. I can refer to that. I can make this better or whatever. And I, and I'm really pleased he's done it. I'd be massively interested in years to come what Russell T Davis makes of this story because it takes so many of his original concepts and develops them and moves them on and in in, in my view it, it it does it for the better it, you know it it helps appreciate Russell T Davis stories now when I go back and watch them or well, I'm sure it will do 
Definitely. Right, it's, been, it's been a really good weekend for Doctor Who, but I, I have to go back to what Trev said at the very beginning. My 50th special was Adventure in Space and Time. I, I Don't get me wrong, I, I, I loved listening to this, or listening to and watching this yesterday, but I got a, I, I found, myself having a, having, found myself having a stronger emotional response to um, the Mark Gatiss production, definitely. The first time I watched it, the, the first time I watched it, the last 10 minutes, it did bring a tear to my eye. It was incredible. I mean, I, I really, I mean, that whole Matt Smith thing probably didn't thrill me too much. Mm. But, you know, the whole stuff at the end, which was heavily dramatised and, you know, pro- probably not even true with Hartnell crouching over the fireplace saying, I don't want to go. <laughs> and, you know, the stuff in the yeah. office with Sidney Newman and saying, you know, you know, we want to fire you, basically. I mean, that, that, that whole last 10 minutes was just incredibly moving and so well done. That that story was my anniversary story. It wasn't mine. I will say that much. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of the surrounding fluff that's been on television. I love the fact that Doctor Who has basically been this year's Olympics in London. You know, it, you can't go anywhere without seeing a, a report of it or mm. or reading something. That's fantastic. But for me, the only thing... At least he wasn't thing... holding the torch. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, shame that can't be retconned, really. But oh. the, the, <laughs> the only thing that um, I was really looking forward to, or the thing that I was looking forward to the most, was this celebratory episode and did it let me down no i don't think it did you know i i really did enjoy it It was a very strong episode it wasn't the best it wasn't it hasn't reached the heights as something like the doctor's wife it didn't have the emotional impact on me like the impossible astronaut had you know with with river song intrigue but it was a very very sensible um, choice, I think, uh, quite a brave choice, not just to go for a, a piece of fluff with very little plot. And uh, I, I, for one, am, am very pleased with it. It could have been so much worse and so much of a, yeah. a, a disappointment. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, the thing is, I, I was expecting to go into this wanting a piece of fluff, but I, I was so pleasantly surprised that the non-Zygon, non-Elizabeth I stuff that was nowhere near fluff was just so engaging for me that that the concepts that they brought up in the story that resonated all the way back to 2005 just worked. And I surprised myself thinking, yes, they do work. That, you know, while I'm not a big fan of the RTD era, that Moffat's made just a little bit more sense of it and tied it together just a little bit more coherently. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. it, it really surprised me that the stuff I thought I would detest the most, i.e. retconning, worked the best. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been our review of the 50th anniversary special episode day of the doctor uh, i hope you enjoyed listening to all of our coverage over the last week or so we've, we've kind of gone really over the top it certainly kept me busy <laughs> it's been an interesting week it's been fantastic to speak to, to you tom and especially apt i think trevor for you to have uh, come back into the camper van and uh, all, all that remains to say is to say thank you very much indeed trevor thank you very much listeners and trevor i'm sure you'll be back next week that's right yeah well, there is a 60th anniversary, isn't there? Or? <laughs> okay, well, someone will be back next week. Trevor will be back in another 10 years. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Podcast with James, Tom and Trevor. 
You have our permission not to check out more episodes of the show at thedoctorpodcast.com. Don't look at our Twitter feed and definitely don't drop by the Doctor Podcast forums. Because after the week of Doctor Who we've had, I think we all need a little bit of a lie down and a break. Thanks for listening. See you later. Must, must have been passage of time named simple as that. <laughs> yes, this is a, that's another story for another day. Right. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we've got to the end, gents, don't we? Yeah. Or haven't we? Well, it's about an hour. Probably did a while ago. Uh, yeah, well, I don't want to go. <laughs> See, that was quite funny. That was quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, true. I think maybe Trevor, you could yeah, say that at the end. <laughs> but he doesn't go. say that all the time. He said it once. <laughs> Why does it suddenly become a David Tennant catchphrase when the silly bastard says it once and it's totally egotistical? I mean, oh, actually, it's it's, it's not a catchphrase. I, have to, I do have to. Uh, Alon Z is a catchphrase. Uh, Geronimo is a catchphrase timey wimey is but not i don't want to go it's not a catchphrase that's fair <laughs> i i think i've he heard it twice this week bit. coming from you know william hartnell and david Tennant. doesn't make it a catchphrase i'm sorry <laughs>